We either live in the house of love or the house of fear. We can go in both houses, but one of them becomes the official place where we reside. And how you understand Jesus shapes which house your soul chooses to reside. Christians live in both, by the way. And I can't stress this enough. What Jesus does in his life and his ministry, it radically and systematically changes what it means for us to love and to live, what it means for us to feel at home. And this is the time of the year where we think on such things. This is the season of Epiphany. It is supposed to focus on the life, the ministry, the teachings, the healings of Jesus. What did he do on earth? His teachings and miracles have ramifications to them, and they invite us into the house of love. And we see this tension between the house of love and fear explode in our text today. There's really two completely different things happening in our text, and they both matter. The first is with Jesus and what he says. He shows us what it looks like to live in the house of love. The second is the crowd, the hometown, the people that helped raise Jesus. They're the ones who live in the house of fear. So let's jump back into the story, and this will explode for you too. Now remember, last week, Jesus has just spoken in the synagogue. That's the context of this. We're still there. And the people are loving it. And that's where we start in verse 21. Then he, Jesus, began to say to them, Today, Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And were amazed at the gracious words coming out of Jesus' mouth. I mean, you can picture this moment. They are so proud of their boy. He's been teaching and healing all up and down the Middle East, and now he has come home, back to Nazareth, and they're so proud. They think they are all together in the house of love. All spoke well of him, were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Such a beautiful bow tied to the end of a great worship service. And then it happens. Jesus opens his mouth again. But this time, it strikes a chord of fear. Scripture says this. They said, is this not Joseph's son? And then he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. Do hear also in your hometown the things that you have done in Capernaum, Jesus. And then he said to them, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But the truth is, there are many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, 
led him to the brow of a hill in which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed by through them and went on his way. If this text seems confusing to you, it is. Because things escalate extremely quickly. I mean, they love Jesus in his hometown until they don't. And by the end, they're chasing him to the edge of a cliff to kill him. Why? What has happened in these few verses? It's all the confusing stuff in the middle. And I want to look at it again. Jesus' sermon in the synagogue says that he's going to bring release to God's people. But the people of Nazareth misunderstand what that means. They think he's saying that only God's people will be healed. Jesus is only going to bring release to the chosen. Only those who understand that they're God's people. That's who Jesus will heal from their sickness. Only God's people who are oppressed will be released from their bondage. For the Jews, we're only talking about Jews, right? I mean, it's right here in Scripture. Do here also in your hometown the things that you were doing up in Capernaum, Jesus. Do it to us too. In other words, make sure you're our healer first. You want to fix things up and down the Middle East? Well, there's broken things here. Let's start now. Fix what's broken in your hometown. Allow us to feel better here. And then Jesus replies with a couple of stories about Elijah and Elisha. Remember when Israel was in pain and they needed help? Well, God sent help. But Elijah and Elisha also helped people that you don't think they should have helped. Remember the foreign widow? Remember the Syrian leper? Neither of them were Jews. These references represent a time when Israel needed God. And God showed up, but God showed up to a little bit more than they were anticipating. God's love always extends beyond the walls that we erect. And Jesus is declaring the same thing here. He just told his hometown that God's gospel is bigger than anything they can imagine. There is a global impact to Jesus' ministry. And this detail sends the Jews through the roof. I mean, two weeks ago, Jesus just declared that he was the bridegroom for all of humanity. Last week, we heard Jesus declare that He was the rightful jubilee for all of time. And now He's describing the same thing here. He's going to be a miracle worker for anyone who is sick. Everyone will have access to Him. Everyone will be invited into God's home. Not just those who come to believe. Jesus will be available to everyone. And they are enraged over this detail. I mean, the Nazarenes have spent centuries building a worldview where God has been privatized and forced to remain in a very well-constructed box. And now here's Jesus, a good Jew, with the message that that box no longer matters. And it doesn't sit well with the box makers. Up to this point, we thought we were living in the house of love together. But as it turns out, 
you can skip across the street to the house of fear pretty fast. And here's how you know it when you do it. Something theologians have noted for a while now is the context of the New Testament is built on a worldview of scarcity and abundance. Jesus' predominant culture is one of scarcity. There's just not enough. We have to limit the outliers. We have to limit what access they have to things like health care or even religion or even resources because there might not be enough. There's not enough space. There's not enough control. There's not enough resources for everyone to build and to have everything that they want. So we have to limit it, and then we have to be the ones who control the limits. This is the mindset of scarcity. And, if you, know, and you know it when you're living in the house of fear, because you're constantly afraid that there won't be enough for you. And we're seeing this with the Nazarenes. They want Jesus to heal them. And perhaps more importantly, they want to make sure Jesus doesn't heal them. In a scarcity mindset, others are a problem. Others concern us. Because if they get some too, there might not be enough for us. Scarcity divides us versus them. And it's really sad because scarcity only produces fear. And when you live in the house of fear, when we make it our home, then there's no room for love because all we can see is lack. And Jesus knows this. He speaks to this. I mean, I think Jesus' message today is one of abundance. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's available to all. I'm going to let all go free. Everyone can have access to God. Anyone can dial into it. There's enough seats, enough space, enough love. My house is big enough, abundant enough. Jesus is building rooms on the mansion of heaven in John 14. All of us are welcome into the mansion and house of the Lord. Which brings up something that we said two weeks ago. I quoted Henry Nouwen and it bears repeating. The goal of our life should be to make love our dominant tone and not fear. We must recognize when our theology and our mindset and our attitude slips over into the house of fear. And we need to find a way to move it back into the house of love. And the way you do this is you realize that in Christ, there's always enough. If we see the world through a lens of fear, then there will never be enough space for all of us. We'll end up hating those who are different, fearing those that we don't know. We'll even eventually turn that hate on ourselves because we'll have to admit that we were never good enough either. A scarcity mindset just can't hold the deep truth that Christ has come to dwell among us. And we need to get this, to live in the house of love, to feel at home in our own skin, we must become conscious to something Scripture proclaims, that in Christ, there's always enough. In Christ, 
you are enough. Now, those who have forgotten this truth, or maybe are just unconscious to this truth, they get stuck in scarcity mindsets, and they live in the house of fear. But Jesus opens His home to everyone nonetheless. And God's love is available to everyone nonetheless. And there's always going to be enough. Which makes our text today an extreme cautionary tale. The Jews just aren't comfortable with all of this. They just don't want God to be as open as Jesus is describing it. But if you're going to reside in the house of love, then there's no room for this kind of fear. There's no room for this kind of entitlement either. With Jesus, there's no room for drawing lines and sands or voting people in or out. With Jesus, everyone's welcome. Everyone's forgiven. Everyone is loved. Now, unfortunately, Luke 4 only shows us what happens when communities forget that control creates hate. And we don't get a pretty picture at the end of this text. They attempt to murder Jesus because of this mindset. We're left wondering, honestly, at the end of chapter 4, does the Jews ever actually turn it around? And you know the end of this story. Holy Week's coming. We absolutely do not turn this around. It only gets worse for humanity. And we end up killing Jesus in the end. Luke 4 is a case study on how absolutely not to be a congregation. It's a terribly sad text. But in the midst of it, we also see the global impact of God's gospel in the world. And it begs us to ask the questions of how can we let love be our dominant tone? How can we become aware of when we're in the house of fear? And how can we move then to the house of love? It's okay if Jesus heals and saves you. It's okay if Jesus heals and saves other people that aren't like you too. Because in Christ, there's always enough. In the house of love, there's plenty of room.